podcast is brought to you by Ancestors. Ancestors is the UK's largest bleach-free, plastic-free and gynaecology-approved period care brand. From 100% organic cotton tampons, pads and liners to reusable period pants and period cups, Ancestors has got you covered. There's no nasties here. Period. Check out our range at Ancestors.com. Hello and welcome to Sisterhood, the podcast with me, Lucy Lettis, co-founder of eco-period care brand Ancestors. Firstly, I'd like to caveat that when I refer to the word woman in these podcasts, this is referring to anyone assigned female at birth. I want the trans and non-cis community to be included and represented in all conversations discussed in this podcast. Each week, I speak with a new guest on everything from fertility and infertility to childbirth, motherhood and beyond. This week, my guest is Frankie Harrison, or some of you may know her better from her Instagram handle, Miracle Moon. Frankie is a clinical psychologist and focuses her work on experiences with birth trauma and neonatal and the neonatal intensive care unit. Her website is a hub of information, including free resources and support for anyone that's going through a NICU journey. At your side and helping guide you through what might be the hardest time of your life, Frankie is set up to support you when you need support the most. So Frankie, welcome. I'd love for you to give a little bit more of an introduction to yourself, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. That was a very lovely introduction. So thank <laughs> you very much for that. <laughs> yeah, so um, so I guess I'll, I'll start a little bit with kind of professionally uh yeah, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a clinical psychologist I have been practicing as a clinical psychologist since uh 2016 but um you kind of work within the field of psychology for years and years before that um so I've been immersed in a world of um mental health um trauma and supporting people for a number of years and my kind of story into kind of Miracle Moon and coming into this space is having personal experience of birth trauma and neonatal care. So I had a relatively turbulent um, pregnancy. I experienced loss of a twin at 10 weeks. Yeah, I and, and I, I don't know many people who have kind of been through that as an experience. No. Um, no. And... Then throughout the pregnancy, I think I probably had every pregnancy symptom going um, in terms of everything, pelvic girdle pain and um, nosebleeds and pain, everything. Wow. Um, And got to around the end of my second trimester and my blood pressure started to spike had a period of time where I was in hospital for about five days on medication to try and bring it back down, went home for a few days and then had to go back in again with raised blood pressure and protein in my urine. And it was indicating that I was kind of going towards preeclampsia, which is a condition which can mean that, you you know, we need to get the baby out um, yeah. to be able to protect your life and the baby's life. So at 31 weeks, I had an emergency section um, and then had the experience of having my baby in neonatal care for five weeks after that. And I kind of came away from that experience as a person who had been through it myself, regardless mm. of the fact of what my job is, mm. going, 
what support is out there I feel like I need a community I need Definitely. some people to be able to talk to so that I know that I'm not alone in this experience mm. I couldn't really find it there was you know some, some charities for example like Bliss who do some incredible stuff but in terms of finding people who I could connect with and talk to where people were going this is what you might be feeling emotionally and mm. kind of validating that or normalizing that I couldn't find mm. it I spoke to another person that I met on Instagram she lives the other side of the country to me but we kind of connected on Instagram um this was the time of COVID so mm. I, people were kind of talking to each other a little bit more yeah um, on it wasn't media. abnormal <laughs> yeah exactly and we were kind of talking backwards and forwards we have very similar stories and we just she's a graphic designer and we were both just like you know we've both got experience here personally and in terms of what our jobs are we could do something with this mm. we could set up a community to be able to support people and that's what we've done so we set up Miracle Moon first firstly in in terms of it being a community to be able to support people mostly online yeah. and from that I kind of switched in terms of my career and the people that I support retrained mm. and now support people one-to-one in groups um through workshops and courses and all sorts with our podcast and stuff like that people who've been through neonatal care and, mm. and birth trauma well, what an amazing story. There's definitely a couple of things in there that I will kind of pick up on a little bit later, but I'd love to just go back a little bit mm. um, earlier and mm-hmm. kind of to the, maybe to the beginning. Mm-hmm. So so you actually were a clinical psychologist before you then decided to sort of specialise yeah. in NICU and kind of birth trauma. And so how did you how did you take that career path? Sort of what was the the background to deciding to, to do that? To being a clinical psychologist? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it was something that I always wanted to do. I always knew that I wanted to, in some way, support people. And originally, I really wanted to work with older adults, which is, you know, completely other end of the spectrum and people <laughs> with dementia. So I was yeah. kind of looking at how can I best support people within this within this world? Yeah. Um, and a clinical psychologist seemed like a really good balance of being able to do that because I could do direct therapy work I could do work with teams I could yeah. do stuff on a kind of political level I could do kind of training also so that it fit the role within within wanting to do that yeah um, it's incredibly competitive so I had a lot of people going you won't get onto it um it's you know it's it's a funded course and um, there's very limited places and thousands of people have kind of applied to it so I feel very lucky that I was able to kind of get there um and it's a, a grueling three three-year doctorate but we got there <laughs> and I love congratulations. it congratulations yeah <laughs> but I think it's it's the best job I absolutely love it but yes and, and so I'd love to just touch briefly on maybe even before the decision and if you think sort of from your early years or your childhood if there was maybe anything that actually kind of directed you or led you to want to work with people and obviously now it is through your personal experience but that potentially you might end up working with women and families and and babies yeah so my experience of growing up was very much being around helpers Uh, my mum is a counsellor um she also um supported people with respite care so um children with disabilities yeah 
so my life was very much immersed in that kind of helping world with yeah. her. You know, there was always someone living at our house who was not family, but kind of mm. felt like family at different points. We had a big family. So I'm one of five, one of five children. Wow. Um, and my my dad passed away when we were eight. So my mum mm-hmm. did a lot of the kind of, you know, raising on her own. Um so I guess I was I was in that world of helping and seeing people experiencing life in ways where there was, you know, trauma and yeah. difficulty. Adversity. And yeah, Definitely. absolutely. From a very young age. Mm. Um, and it just very much felt like I needed to be helping in some kind of way from a very young age. So in a way, it felt like it was kind of scripted for me. Uh, all, funnily, all of my siblings have gone into kind of creative roles, which probably is a lot, <laughs> you, know, you know, better for their minds, maybe. Um, but it, yeah, it very much felt like that's what I needed. I needed to do. In terms of the older adult stuff, I had an incredibly close relationship with my grandparents. My nan developed dementia. So again, a lived, lived experience. I wanted to go down that route in terms of supporting people with that at that point. So both of the um, the kind of, you know, supporting mothers and parents and supporting older people came from a place of passion. I've lived this, I guess. Absolutely. It definitely sounds like that sort of helping and wanting to support people mentality was sort of in your DNA from from the very beginning. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So so obviously I, I touched upon Miracle Moon at the beginning and, and you gave a brief intro to it as well. I'd love to hear a little bit more about it. And you mentioned it. It's a community, um, but also that you support families and women in, in many different ways. I'd love for you to maybe give a little bit of an explanation as to kind of what those ways are and and how you kind of yeah, support people the most so we have we're mostly on instagram at the moment okay. um we have facebook and linkedin mm. and tiktok and we have it all um but that is where the majority of people kind of gravitate to that's where the conversation okay. is really um and my kind of aim on on social media generally is to raise awareness educate but also to go that route of this is what you might be experiencing emotionally and psychologically this is the thoughts that you might be having this is how you might behave this is you know all of this kind of stuff that might be going on for you yeah um because again it's it's not massively being spoken about and the majority of people kind of come to the page and go I'm not alone like other people feel this and I think that that's you know, so big in kind of reducing some of that shame and letting people know, especially around neonatal care, that you do not have to be over it as soon as you're home. And that the actually the the likelihood is that you're not going to be. And it isn't until you get home and that you start processing that, you know, that's when that's when it hits you. So there's a lot about kind of normalizing and validating and kind of with that. But then I also want to give people as many free resources as I can to be able to help themselves. So I I do a lot of trying to give people the skills that I know in a way that is you're able to do on social media. (laughs) 
so uh, but I guess you miss nuance with with that which is difficult but kind of just trying to give people tools is something that I'm passionate about and then we kind of go one step further in terms of thinking about things like workshops um webinars and trying to reach as many people as we can do again making it as affordable as possible and we have got tons and tons of ideas of stuff that we want to do and it's about implementing them right now um so we've got a workshop on that's free on your identity after coming into motherhood surrounding trauma um we've got a workshop on the first birthday which is also a trauma anniversary and we've got loads more coming coming on things like pregnancy after trauma and health anxiety and all of that so we've got that and then we do things like group therapy and i the, the main bulk of my work that i do is one-to-one therapy work at the moment with people um and kind of use a range of different models but the one that i've trained in uh, most recently is emdr okay which is a kind of trauma therapy amazing and so you do that in person or online uh, online actually amazing amazing yeah Yeah. so the majority of my work is on the computer yeah virtually yeah yeah I mean it's just crazy that we we live in times that that's possible Mm. so important especially I mean I don't know you tell me maybe it's a time that actually people like being in the comfort of their own home and absolutely don't want to have to leave <laughs> yeah well I mean the majority of people that I see are people with young children um and a lot of people that I see don't want to leave their children so the idea of getting in the car driving somewhere else going and seeing someone for an appointment yeah. and then coming back for some people feels too much mm-hmm. um so there are some sessions that I do where people have their babies with them mm-hmm. um and that is okay with me yeah um and we kind of work it out of what do you need like do you need a little bit of space from your from your baby yeah and you do that um and if you don't that's also okay yeah no totally so I'd love now to discuss so you you mentioned at the beginning about your personal story Mm -hmm. so for any listeners who are pregnant or are potentially um high risk or concerned they might be high risk would you be able to explain a little bit about what the NICU is and mm-hmm. and why a woman and her baby or new families might end up or have to spend time there? Yeah, I think I think it's really worth saying I didn't know anything about it until I was in it. Um, because again, because it's not spoken about. So and I think there's something around like let's not tell pregnant people because we don't want to scare them. Scare them. But I also think the majority of people that I speak to who have been through it are like I wish I had known so there's got to be a balance there so when I share information about what neonatal care is I try and do it in a very kind of like factual way so I will do that <laughs> um so neonatal care is that kind of neonatal intensive care unit so it is a place where babies are admitted if they are born prematurely or sick So 60% of babies that are admitted to neonatal care are actually born at term, Um, so 37 weeks and above. Um, They might have um, shorter stays, but it is, you know, they need support with things like jaundice or hypoglycemia or procedures or various kind of medical issues that they need extra support with. 
It's also for babies who are born prematurely. There are babies who have been as born as prematurely as 22 weeks. There are different levels. Yeah, there are different levels of neonatal intensive care unit. So it's worth looking at what hospital you're thinking of giving birth in and what they have available there. So could they support a very premature baby? Could they support a very sick baby? Would you need to be transferred? Where might you need to be transferred? It's just something to kind of keep in mind if what's in your area, I guess. So it's... when you kind of enter the space, it's um, it's obviously very medicalized. There's lots of incubators. And normally your baby will be put into an incubator that's got the kind of holes at the side. Yeah. And within that space, it's a kind of sterile environment where they're able to support your baby with breathing and feeding. And they're able to do like procedures within there. And it almost like replicates the womb in that kind of sense. Yeah. Um, they try and keep it dark and they try and keep it quiet. Um but I think the most important thing to be able to know is that you, even though your baby is in that space, you are still their parent. Um, they are in a medical environment, but you are the most important person within that 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 place. You are able to care for your baby. Um, you're able to do things like the nappy changes and when they're ready to be able to do feeds and hold and soothe and bond and all of that. It just looks different. Yeah. No, definitely. And so this is obviously from kind of your personal experience. You know, what 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 is it like being in the NICU as a as a as a parent, as a as a new mother, as someone who, you know, whether or not they they knew that that's where they were going to be, or whether or not it's kind of emergency. And as you say, they didn't know that they were going to be there. You know, what is it like? And and I guess do you have any advice or support or sort of insight for those listening that mm-hmm. m- might be going through it or, or 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 concerned about going having to go through it I think it's you know no matter how much you know about it beforehand it's overwhelming um I think that process of being in you know a very medicalized environment um and essentially separated from your baby yeah. is very different to how you thought it was going to be so feelings of grief of kind of you know this wasn't supposed to be like this or missed moments or you know even down to things like you know I the way that I expected birth to go or yeah you know the baby being on your chest the golden hour like all of those kind of things and not getting those yeah. I really grieved them yeah and you know walking into the NICU to meet my baby for the first time and not knowing which one which my baby one? was yeah, um, I just I just cannot imagine. Yeah, completely. And you know, like going and seeing them and being like, "Are you sure? <laughs> you know, is that is that my baby?" And they're covered in wires and tubes and yeah. all of that, and they're you know prematurely so tiny. So it takes a while to connect, um, even just in your own mind. That like I was pregnant and I wasn't yeah. expecting to give birth and even can I call it giving birth like you know it was Mm. that kind of processing it took a long time for me to be able to process and kind of figure it all out and that's okay um it took me a while to develop those feelings of love I didn't get that kind of overwhelming rush of oxytocin Mm. um and again normal like in that kind of very sterile environment where you're not even allowed to hold your baby Mm. maybe at the beginning it's normal to have that disconnect from 
maybe from yourself yeah but also from your baby from everything that's around you and it can be it can be really tough really tough definitely I think obviously you know you mentioned the golden hour but I think regardless of that having your baby inside you for mm-hmm. no matter how long and then having your baby outside of you and not ha- being able to have you know indefinite time regardless of skin skin just together on each yeah. other with that connection you know unbelievably tough and uh, an adjustment mm. yeah I just yeah I, I I mean I can't imagine um so I did want to ask I would love to hear kind of what happens with things like breastfeeding if uh-huh. if an expectant mother was hoping to breastfeed how would that work for her within yeah. the sort of the NICU environment because I know you do have some kind of resources and that I'd love to hear a bit yeah. more about it so if a a mum wanted to breastfeed and often it's it's quite tricky because especially prematurely you maybe haven't even thought about it yet um you are maybe thinking that you you would get there and I hadn't really um yeah. I thought maybe I would want to but I didn't really know yeah. um but then someone came and talked to me and said it is important that you do it and I was like oh okay that's fine if you want to, uh, if that's the route that you want to go down, then they encourage you to start hand expressing within an hour of giving birth, whatever that looks like. Yeah. Um, so personally, I kind of remember that bit of like just going through an emergency C-section and then essentially a nurse coming and milking me um, before I wow. met my baby <laughs> to try and kind of encourage the kind of colostrum and stuff. Yeah. And you can, you can, you can produce colostrum from you know yeah, yeah 22 weeks like you can yeah so that's what you do to start with you develop you're doing the kind of hand expressing and then you move into kind of expressing and pumping with a machine over time and then you're doing that expressing usually um every three to four hours kind of round the clock to, to produce yeah. And bring your milk in and, yeah. and produce enough milk. Your baby might be on a different timeline to your body. Um, so mine was. Um, so he was nil by mouth for the start okay. and then had tiny bits of colostrum that he was allowed. And then his stomach couldn't take it, the the real milk. So then he went on a kind of medical thing that he was ingesting instead of milk for a little while to just kind of like heal his yeah. heal his gut yeah. so I was at that point producing a lot of milk and he was on tiny mills um of milk so I ended up with a whole freezer yeah uh, full um but I know that people struggled kind of the other way with that way. in terms of being able to produce milk especially if you're not having that connection and that closeness it's really hard you can start to physically put your baby to the breast as soon as they are medically stable enough to be able to do that there's information that is like you can do it from 34 weeks or whatever it is but it is is as soon as your baby is medically stable and Mm. babies younger than that can do that as well um so it's worth talking to the people around you and usually on units especially bigger ones they have nurses who are trained as lactation consultants or have right. extra support and if they don't then finding it places like the is it the lelec oh gosh what yes they call yeah it? the lelec league yes yeah. they've yeah. got some brilliant information um on that um so yeah worth looking around as well 
Okay. Yeah. I'll also, I'll definitely make sure I put that in the um, Mm -hmm. class notes. And then I've seen it's kind of spoken. I think you also speak about it, this phrase of sort of feeling like a visitor rather than Mm -hmm. a parent. Mm -hmm. Do you have any advice on that? Yeah. Again, I think that is fairly normal to start with. And it can feel a little bit like I don't know what I'm doing here I feel like I'm in the way you're having to you know even things from like buzz in um to go and see your baby or the fact that you have to go home and you can't stay with your baby for the majority so you let you have a visitor's badge it's it's that's disconnecting in itself but then things like you know coming and seeing your baby who has been looked after by professionals the whole time when you haven't been there yeah you do feel like you are visiting in that kind of way and it takes a little while to probably go oh no I feel like a mum now and I think the thing that made me feel like a mum was doing the things I imagined a mum doing so things like feeding and changing nappies Nappies. and caring and holding and stroking when I was allowed to stroke because when they're very little and vulnerable you're not allowed to stroke them because that can be too overwhelming so just holding you have to kind of do what's called containment holding because their skin's too fragile um and it's just such a natural thing to stroke isn't it that you want to stroke your baby so in itself that was hard or things like I had to wait a few weeks until I was able to dress him um and when I was able to do that that for me was a big thing being able to find clothes that I wanted to put him in yeah um, yeah yeah Yeah. exactly um but I will say with that that if you find yourself in the situation it is worth communicating with staff that you want to be involved in as many firsts as you can be I walked into the unit and they dressed my baby for the first time without me um, in clothes that weren't his. And I, yeah, and that was really hard. Um, And it felt trivial at the time, but I felt really upset about it. And I know now that's fine to be upset about it. So, yeah, being involved in as many firsts as you can, like his first bath, which didn't happen again for weeks, but we did that on the unit. So all of of that reading, talking... The first is, yeah, all of that, just yeah. helping that kind of bond to grow is what allowed me to feel like a mum rather than a visitor. Definitely. And and obviously, you know, you mentioned at the beginning all about sort of communities and finding other women who kind of have been through similar experiences. Within the NICU, were there other mums? Were there other mums and babies? Did you, was was there any support there? Did you get any support there or find any sort of solace in in a, in a connection there yeah I found someone on the unit with me who we kind of did very similar kind of journeys we were both in the high dependency unit kind of bed to bed both pregnant and waiting for emergency mm. sections and then we were both there with our babies in the same room when they'd first been born and then we moved into the next room together so I was kind of like, you know, when you're kind of eyeing someone up and you're like, could you be my friend? <laughs> um, but then you're also very aware that they've been through a lot. You've been through a lot. Yeah. It's like, do we, do I talk to this person or do I not? <laughs> so I just kind of, I started the conversation with being like, hey, I'm going to the shop. Do you want any chocolate? And she's like, 
Um, and we just started kind of talking. Great way to start the conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> off of food. That's how you kind of start the conversation. But it's, yeah, and that we're still friends now and seeing our babies kind of go from being in incubators together, born kind of prematurely to now being like three and a half year olds running around is like incredible. And that bit of someone else who's able to just go, yeah, I feel that too. I get that too is incredibly important. Yeah. Um, it can be a really great place to meet people um, and to get those connections. But I completely understand people who don't want to do that and want to just stay in their own little bubble too. Yeah. So that's why the kind of social media side of stuff was actually really important for me because some people are like, I miss that. I miss mm. that opportunity to connect and doing it kind of online or meeting people in your area who've been through similar is also really important. Yeah, definitely. I think obviously then it allows you to make the decision and, yeah. you know, how, how much you want to share, who you mm. want to share with, that type of thing. Absolutely. Um, so then, so I always ask my guests this, it, it does seem like a really obvious question because everyone I've spoken to is so, so passionate about what they do, but from, you know, to, for you personally, why, why do you love what you do? I guess it's, it's more nuanced in that, you know, previously you were, trained and experienced in a specific area and then you I guess moved into mm. a more kind of specific area linked to your experience but why do you love what you do why does why do you get up in the morning and and do what you do oh my goodness um <laughs> it's it's that bit of firstly I think letting people not feel alone in what it is that they're going through because that is that's awful that kind of feeling of it's just me I think being able to give people that experience of going I see you I hear you I'm right with you in this and being able to you know really validate like whatever it is that they're feeling and not be like judgmental about it and actually being able to go like hey, you've got all these feelings that feel really nasty and horrible and uncomfortable mm. for you. Give them to me, <laughs> share them with me. Yeah. Like, let's look at them together. Let's not judge them. Let's see that there's a reason that they're here. They're trying mm. to tell us something. Kind of unpicking that a little bit. So that's the kind of first bit. And then seeing people grow. I love it in terms of being able to see people come back kind of week after week and just being like more aware of, oh, I do this, or I think this way, or I feel this way, and come to a place where they are more accepting of what it is that they're thinking and feeling and of kind of who they are, um, and kind of flourishing with that. So it's a kind of whole process, but I love mm. absolutely every aspect of it. Absolutely. And then and then what's the what's the hardest, hardest part of of what you do? I think the hardest part actually is probably the the bit where and this is probably quite um there's probably a small amount of people who who experience this mm -hmm. is as a person who is a professional and supporting other people who have been through what I have been through when I need the community that's difficult because mm -hmm. then you've kind of like taken yourself out of it as the professional within it mm -hmm. so it's really important for me that I have developed my own smaller kind of community in that so that Definitely. I can kind of 
bounce my own stuff off of or you know professionally my own support network that's Mm. so important for me but Mm. I think I started this process and I was in the community and now I'm just kind of slightly out of it supporting everyone else so Mm. that is probably probably the hardest part I think yeah definitely I think yeah of course you sort of the role you play as someone who's been there before but as a professional Mm. and then the role you kind of play as just someone who's been there before and Mm. and not the sort of professional that you have your own thoughts and feelings and yeah and and that balance yeah yeah absolutely it's tricky so so obviously you had your first baby and then and now you are a mother of two Mm. which is very exciting so I'd love to hear how your experience of of having a second baby and of course your experience of of having your first impacts what you do day to day yeah so with having my second baby um it was obviously not a decision that I took lightly I kind of looked into the likelihood of all of this happening again and the likelihood was there. But in terms of the way that I was going to be monitored and supported throughout a second pregnancy, I kind of decided to take that risk. And that was a, you know, a personal decision. The second pregnancy was different. I had very limited complications second time around. Um, I managed to get to 38 weeks. Um, I, at the very end started to spike in terms of blood pressure. So they were like, we're not going to mess around with this. Um, we either need to induce or do a section. Um, and I went down the kind of induction route, which then ended up in an emergency section again, but it was a very different experience. And that was the thing that I kind of kept repeating to myself throughout the whole pregnancy birth is this is different. Um, to to kind of remind myself this is different this is now it is not then because it's very easy to be pulled back into what it is that happened previously Mm. it still wasn't the birth that I dreamt of Um, it wasn't the birth that I wanted and there is still grief around that because I think probably we won't have any more children so I probably won't won't get that experience that I wanted Mm. Um, but I'm slowly kind of coming to terms with that uh some Mm -hmm. you know some moments are kind of harder than others with that but it was a very very different experience Mm -hmm. having a term healthy baby who didn't leave NICU Mm -hmm. outside of the pandemic uh, which is the other thing it is was a lot less anxiety provoking um Mm -hmm. so many you know less health issues Mm -hmm. there was still kind of worries and issues and normal kind of newborn stuff um but it just didn't have that other layer on on top of Mm. it um and you know having two children and figuring all that out and I I think that probably the thing that I noticed was guilt that was there which Mm. again normal guilt of second time mum um, how will this affect my first and mm. um, will I be able to give my attention to both of them and all of those kind of normal thoughts but then also this kind of guilt of oh, my second didn't experience the same things the same hardships the same kind of mm. trauma and I feel bad about that for my first but I also wouldn't want my second to go through yeah. that or this feeling of like when I was pregnant like actually what would 
not being in NICU look like and being able yeah. to take my baby home straight away that almost felt terrifying mm-hmm. um as well as the idea of being in NICU also felt terrifying yeah um so it was kind of there was there was lots and lots yeah. of layers and it was really important to me to have space to be able to make sense of all of those feelings as I was going through it mm. well it, it, yeah it sounds like the kind of both sides of of, of the coin were complicated and complex ones yeah to sort of to to get through to and and obviously you know you weren't in control of of the fate of of how how far baby would come to term if it would come to term when they would be born so I think just in your head understanding the different paths that potentially you might have to go down and, and how you might deal with them and and of course at that point your family as well you know your Mm. your your firstborn as well Mm. thank you for sharing that so moving on now ancestors is of course a period care brand so I always like to ask my guests a question around general women's wellness so I wondered if you have from your experience or from talking to women in your community any advice or learnings for our listeners on anything from menstrual health and wellness, sexual health and wellness, mental health, or anything else around women's health, anything that you wish you knew, yeah, that you that you think would be useful for, for our listeners? I think uh, one, one thing, as you were kind of saying that, I think one mm. thing that doesn't get spoken about a lot is that kind of relationship with your partner and intimacy and I think that that is worth speaking about I think when you have been through trauma and when you have Mm. been through you know particularly like birth trauma or NICU that is sometimes really tricky in developing Mm. that again and I work with quite a lot of women who are fearful of having that intimacy again because Mm -hmm. they're fearful of having another pregnancy that could end up in in Mm -hmm. something that risks their life or baby's life there's something at risk more deeply now that you've got another Mm -hmm. child and that it is fairly common for it to have an impact on your relationship Mm -hmm. and your intimacy with your partner Mm -hmm. but again something that people feel quite shameful about in terms of talking about that Mm -hmm. um so I think that that is worth raising that Mm -hmm. if you are struggling with that Mm -hmm. it is something that you don't you don't just kind of like you know push through it for yeah one of a better word mm. yeah but being able to kind of go okay let's let's pace this let's mm. talk about this let's give this time let's understand why I might be feeling like this um mm. if you're able to have an open conversation with your partner about it then that's fantastic if you feel like you need to bring in a third party and have someone else like a therapist come and talk to you both about it and help you with that then that's mm. that's good too yeah. um but find your own kind of way Mm. no pressure and just just know that it is fairly fairly normal fairly common Mm. no that's that's absolutely fantastic advice I think yeah um sex and relationships after children is such a massive thing but as you say that's sort of another you know another 
tier to that is the complexity of what that then leads to and yeah. and that sort of reliving of, of the trauma so that's really really good advice thank you so we're almost at the end of the podcast but I always like to do some quick fire questions and two other sections at the end as well so quick fire questions are there's no obviously right or wrong answer I'll ask you a question and it's just the first thing that comes to your mind that you think the listeners to get to know a little bit about you. So the first quick five question is, what is your favorite quote, motto or affirmation? Oh God. Um, <laughs> um, do you know what? My my first one was not all who wander are lost. Um, because I, yeah, I, I loved, I loved that as a statement for sure. Great. Nope, that's a great one. Uh, what's your best parenting hack? All NICU parents know it. It's the um, vests coming over the shoulders um, and down and down for you. <laughs> so you say all NICU parents know it, but as someone who hadn't been through that, I I genuinely didn't know it for. I no. can't remember how long, but it was a, a good couple of weeks. Yeah, we, you know, we had explosions where I was like, yeah, that's how you dress your baby in NICU. So there you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah, you knew. Yeah. What not to say to someone who has been through a NICU experience? Anything that starts with at least. Great. And best piece of advice for a new mum to look after herself? Space. In whatever way that you can create that. Great. So the next section is questions it's impossible to answer. So again, no right or wrong answer, but your advice on this question. Mm-hmm. How to find calm and strength amidst a roller coaster of emotions whilst baby is spending time in NICU trying to ground yourself and be present within the moment because your brain goes 100 miles an hour into trying to think of the future and predicting it or taking you back to what has just happened so whatever you can do to create some kind of presence of what can I see here touch taste smell right now right here to kind of bring yourself down in that moment that's great advice and our final section is Mythbusters. So I'll say a sentence and you can let me know if it's true or false. And then depending on true or false, if you'd like to add any extra comments as well. Mm-hmm. So the first Mythbuster is I won't be able to hold my baby whilst he or she is in the NICU. Yeah, that's false. The who the guidelines are actually really encouraging skin to skin um hugely um and in different parts of the world they put your baby on you straight away regardless of the gestation or how poorly they are they even do like resuscitation on the parents um which i don't know whether i would have wanted but there there is a huge drive at the moment for skin to skin and i guess care providers are catching up with that at the moment but no you can absolutely do skin to skin with your baby amazing uh the second one is there are visiting hours for when i'm allowed to see my baby in NICU there were when it was around covid um i don't know whether there are certain hospitals still implementing that but the majority are 24 hours that you can go in no matter what time the majority you have to go home to sleep because there isn't the space for you to sleep. Right. Um, but if you wanted to, to you yeah. could prop yourself up on a chair for 24 hours there if you wanted to. I wouldn't recommend it because you need to look after yourself. Definitely. Um, but yeah. yeah. 
Final one, we actually briefly touched on it a little bit before, but um, health professionals will convince me to formula feed my baby when I want them to be breastfed or be fed through breast milk when in the NICU. It depends on who your provider is and who the person is. Um, I think there are some people who have experienced that, especially with the idea of wanting to get home. There will be some people who go like, because they need to be having a certain mills and it's all very monitored and being able to do that through a bottle is easier. So there may be some push in that, but it is absolutely okay for you to say no. It's okay for you to carry on, keep trying or to try and get someone else's opinion, a different nurse or um, healthcare provider. That is okay for you to do. Um, So yeah, it really, really depends on who you talk to. Well, thank you, Frankie, so much for such an informative podcast. As I said, I this is all new to me, so it's been so eye-opening and I'm so grateful, we're so grateful that you shared your story because I think that's so invaluable to listeners who, as I said, might be going through it now or are worried that they're going to be going through it. I think just knowing that there's others out there and, and as we've discussed throughout that community side is so, so important. So thank you so much, Frankie. Frankie.